First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to Joshua chapter 13? And uh, as you're turning there uh, this morning, uh, you know, this past week was, was one of our big uh, birthday weeks in, in our household. Uh, this past week, uh, my wife uh, Megan had her birthday, and, uh, but it's a double birthday for us because our third oldest son, Titus, was born on Megan's birthday. And uh, so we celebrated both of them on, uh, on Friday, March 10, and um, had a great time celebrating Titus. He just turned nine years old, and I think we have a picture of him opening one of his birthday gifts from us. And if you don't know what that is, that's a, a ripped stick. It's, it's kind of like a skateboard, except for it's a lot harder than that to ride. And uh, even though I was never even able to really ride a skateboard very well, all my boys have like no problem riding these, these rip sticks. And he's very excited about that. Megan picked that out for him, and uh, he liked it. Kind of looks like a, like a surfboard there. And I went right out and started using it. And, you know, as I, as I was thinking about that gift and you know, just thinking about giving gifts to our kids in general. I mean, it's kind of a, almost an obvious, you know, statement to make. But, you know, when, when we're picking out a gift like that or we're picking out a gift for any of our kids, right, at Christmas time, at birthdays, I mean, obviously we, we want to pick out gifts that our kids will like, right? And I mean, every mom, every dad in this room is that way, right? We don't want to pick bad gifts. We want to pick good gifts. We want to pick gifts that they're going to enjoy and gifts that they're going to be excited about. But I think sometimes, even though we know that God is our heavenly Father, that there are some people, including even some Christians, who don't think that God is like that. There's some people who just don't think that God wants to give them anything good in their lives at all. And there are certainly some people who are not Christians who would say that, who would just say, you know, God doesn't want to give me good things. I feel like God wants to take all my good things away. He wants to take away all my fun. He wants to take away all the things that I want to do. And if I give my life to Jesus, my life is just going to become boring and dull and dreary. There are other people who think, well, you know, maybe God did want to give me good things at some point, but, you know, I've messed up so much and messed up so badly that now God is probably just angry with me all the time. And uh, he, he never wants to do anything for me. He's probably just wanting to punish me. He's just kind of waiting around, you know, to, to drop the hammer on me the next time I do something wrong. I don't feel like God wants to give me anything good at all. But, you know, for those of us who, through faith in the Lord Jesus, have become children of God, nothing could be further from the truth. And Jesus told us that. Remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He said, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. In other words, if your son asks for a ripstick, you're not going to give him broccoli. (laughs) Right? None of us would do that. No mother or father in this room would do that. Even though we are sinful, imperfect mothers and fathers, we wouldn't do that. God is a perfect, loving, heavenly father. And so even more than us, he wants to give good things to his children. 
And we're going to see that truth about God in living color in these chapters that we're looking at today in the book of Joshua. Because in these chapters, after seven hard years of of battling and and conquest, the Lord is going to fulfill every promise that he's made to his children. And they're finally going to receive their inheritance in the promised land. And he wants to do the very same thing in our lives. The title of the message today is Every Good Thing That He Has Promised. And just as he gave them every good thing that he promised them, the Lord will give to us, to his children today, every good thing that he has promised to us. Not a single word of his promises will fail. Now you may have noticed on uh, the bulletin that you received when you came in or on the slide uh, just a moment ago on the screen that today we're going to uh, go all the way from Joshua 13 to Joshua 21. That's nine chapters of the book of Joshua. And for one thing, you're probably thinking, Pastor, did you realize that we lost an hour of sleep last night? We're already basically asleep. We're struggling to stay with you right now. And you're going to hit us with nine chapters of Joshua. And then probably some of you are also thinking, you know, Pastor, you, you take like 45 minutes to go through two verses sometimes in the Bible. How on earth are you going to cover nine chapters in one message? And the answer to that is, frankly, I have no idea how that's going to happen. But we're going to do the best we can. And uh, obviously, we, we can't even read all of this uh, today. But we're going to kind of fly over uh, this portion of scripture and, and hit some of the highlights, but I really believe that God has some awesome truths uh, that he wants to show us in this part uh, of the book of Joshua today. Let's pray, though, before we go any further. Father, we do thank you for this day that, uh, Lord, you have uh, woken us up. You have given us another day to serve you, another day to worship you, uh, another day to be with our brothers and our sisters in this place. And, and so, God, would you speak today through your word? Father, would you help us to remember today that every part of your word is profitable for us and beneficial for us. And so, Lord, help us to learn today from you that we might trust in your son Jesus more. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, there are two questions that I really want us to answer today. First is just simply the question, what happened in these chapters of Joshua? And then we'll ask the question, what happened? does this mean for us and for our lives? Uh, But first, let's just do kind of a survey of these nine chapters of Joshua and answer that question, what happened? And uh, we're going to go quickly, just chapter by chapter here. And I'm going to put some things up on the screen, uh, screens behind me. And so uh, you can write those things down. If you are a note taker, it will be just a very simple outline of what these chapters of Joshua are all about. And so first off, in Joshua chapter 13, the Lord tells Joshua that it is now time to give the people of God their inheritance. Now, just as a reminder of where we are in this story, after Moses died, after the people of God had wandered for 40 years in the desert, the Lord raised up a new leader, Joshua, and the Lord told Joshua to be strong and uh, to be courageous, that he would be with him, that he would fight his battles. 
The Lord told Joshua to cross over the Jordan River to begin to take possession of uh, the promised land. And, and he did that. And the Israelites did that in miraculous fashion. And then the Lord began to give them victories. And we've read about those uh, in our study of this book so far. Victories over Jericho uh, after initial defeat at Ai. A victory over Ai. And then last week we saw in Joshua 10 through 12 how the Lord gave them victories over uh, coalitions of kings uh, that came and fought against them. Now seven years of of war has passed. While there's still some work to be done, by and large, the people of God have subdued their enemies. And in keeping with God's promises, the land was now theirs. And that's where we pick up in chapter 13 and verse 1. We read, now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years. And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains, all the territories of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, and also the Avites from the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Mira that belongs to the Sidonians, as far as Aphek. To the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gibalites, and all Lebanon towards the sunrise. From Baal Gad below Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance to Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Misrephoth, and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. When the text says in verse 1 that Joshua was old, uh, it means that he was really old. He uh, would die at 110 years of age. Uh, Most scholars believe at this point in his life he was somewhere between 90 and 100 years of age. And the text seems to imply that uh, for the most part his fighting days were now behind him. But the Lord acknowledges that there was still much land yet to be uh, possessed by Israel in the promised land. Verses 2 through 6 tell us the places and names of those locations that still needed to be possessed. Most of them were located on the east by the Mediterranean Sea and up in the northern part uh, of the country. But the plan was uh, that Joshua was to go ahead and give each of the tribes their allotment of land, their inheritance... And from that point, it would be the responsibility of each of the individual tribes to drive out the remainder of the Canaanites that lived uh, within their borders. Now, we're going to find out that they actually don't end up doing a very good job of that. Uh, They end up allowing some of the Canaanites to continue living among them. And the book of Joshua talks about that. Judges chapter 1 talks about that. And there would be some pretty serious consequences spiritually for the people of God for their failure to completely obey the Lord's command in this regard. But nonetheless, at this point, God says, now it is time to divide the land to to give the people their inheritance. You may have noticed, though, in verse 7 that it says, give the inheritance to the nine and a half tribes. And that may strike you as strange because you may say, well, I thought there were 12 tribes. Isn't that what we say? The 12 tribes of Israel. And so uh, what happened to the two and a half tribes that are somehow missing? Well, that's the second part of our outline we need to see. We are reminded here 
that the two and a half tribes had already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan River. And we won't read it, but that's really what the rest of Joshua 13 is all about. Those tribes were the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh. And uh, you can read about this back in Numbers 32 through 34. But essentially, the leaders of these tribes came to Moses when they were still on the other side of the Jordan. And they said to Moses, look at this land right here where we're standing. I mean, this is pretty good land. Uh, We've already taken this land and uh, they had a lot of cattle. They said, this is good land for for livestock. And so they said, Moses, why can't this land uh, be our inheritance? And Moses said, well, that's fine. That land can be your inheritance so long as when it comes time to cross the Jordan and, and to go into battle and to take possession of Canaan, that you guys don't stay here, but you cross over the river with your brothers and fight side by side with them and help them to take possession of their land. And once you've done that, then you can go back home to your tribes on the east side of the river. And so they promised Moses that they would do that. And in the book of Joshua, they keep their promise. And now the time of fighting had ended. Now it was time for them to go back home and to take possession of their land again on the east side of the Jordan. And you can see where their territories were located on on this map. Now you probably have a map very similar to this in the back of your Bibles. And and we are Baptists, right? We believe in the Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of maps at the end of the Bible. And, uh, And so... Uh, One thing you'll notice on this map, you can't really see the Jordan River, but it connects the Sea of Galilee, which is that blue uh, lake there at the north of Israel, all the way down to the Salt Sea, to the Dead Sea in the south. And and on the east side of that Jordan River, you see these two and a half tribes, the tribe of Reuben in the south, half the tribe of Manasseh there in the north, and the tribe of Gad uh, sandwiched there in the middle. And when we come to the next several chapters of Joshua, Joshua 14 through 19, It's all about how the other nine and a half tribes received their inheritance on the west side of the Jordan River. In chapter 14, verse 1, it refers to the land of Canaan, and that's what it's talking about. Canaan was the land west of the river. And uh, look with me at what it says there, Joshua 14, verses 1 through 5. It said, These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites, he gave no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. And they divided the land. Now, one thing you'll notice in verse 4, it says that the Levites, the tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe, uh, did not receive any inheritance, any portion in the land because it says elsewhere that the Lord God was their portion. And uh, instead, they were scattered among cities, as we're going to see in a few minutes, all over the promised land. You know, since that is the case, there there was something here that always confused me when I first began to study uh, this part of the Bible. And and that's because since the Levites did not receive any uh, allotment of land, uh, how come there are still 12 tribes and 12 territories of land in the land of Canaan? 
Uh, the answer for that is also in verse 4, because, you know, you might notice you never read about a tribe of Joseph in the Bible, even though Joseph was the most famous out of all 12 sons that Jacob had. And verse 4, it tells us what happened is that Jacob actually more or less adopted both of Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And they became heads of tribes, and really Joseph received a double blessing because both of his sons, again, became the heads of tribes. Both of his sons received an allotment of land in the promised land. So there are still 12 territories of land. The Levites don't receive any, but both sons of Joseph receive one. And so that's how the math works, and it adds up to 12. First up in Joshua 15 through 17, we read about Judah and Ephraim and half the tribe of Manasseh receiving their land. And chapter 15 is really all about the tribe of Judah. And that is because Judah, even though he was the fourth son of Jacob, the tribe of Judah has become the most important tribe in Israel. And so pride of place goes to them and they receive their inheritance first of all. And I really believe this goes back to Jacob's prophecy about Judah that you can read in Genesis 49 where Jacob said that it was from the tribe of Judah that the scepter, that the ruler, would one day come. And we know that King David came from the tribe of Judah. And we know that one day later, a son of David, the king of kings, Jesus Christ, would come from the tribe of Judah as well. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah who came to save us all. And so Judah receives her territory first. And we read about her boundary lines. We read about the major cities that fell within those boundaries. And then in chapters 16 and 17, we read about the boundary lines of of the two tribes that come from Joseph, Ephraim, and then the allotment for the other half tribe of Manasseh. And then in Joshua 18 and 19, we read about the other seven tribes and how they received uh, their inheritance as well. Uh, But before we read about that, we read that Joshua and the Israelites picked up camp and changed locations. You can see that in Joshua 18, verse 1. It says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance." So they picked up camp from where they were at Gilgal and they moved camp to this city called Shiloh. And they set up the tabernacle of God there. The Ark of the Covenant was there. This is where they worshiped the Lord. And this location of Shiloh became a very important location for Israel. This is where the tabernacle of worship was located all during the period of the judges and all the way up until King David in 2 Samuel moved the tabernacle and moved the Ark to his new capital city, the city of Jerusalem. Uh, It was here at Shiloh that the other seven tribes find out where their inheritance is going to be. Uh, What we read, though, is that there was kind of a new way, a new system of of them receiving their inheritance. What, what, What he said, Joshua said to them was, I want each of you to choose three men from each tribe. So seven tribes times three men, 21 men, who would be a scout party, more or less. They would go out like Lewis and Clark. And they would scout out the territory. They would uh, write up seven uh, territories uh, and they would draw the boundaries of each of them. And then they would bring those back to Joseph and the high priest Eleazar at the camp at Shiloh. And he said, we will cast lots to determine uh, which one of these seven territories each tribe receives. 
And you know, I think it was very important that they did it that way. Of course, it was at the Lord's command. But it was also important, I think, for the children of Israel to know that they were not receiving their territories just at the whim of their leader, Joshua. That they were receiving their specific inheritance, their specific territory, because of the sovereign Lord who oversaw and superintended that lot casting process so that they would receive the inheritance that he had for them. And I think it's important that we understand that as well that the sovereign Lord of all the earth has also determined what our lot in life is as well. Uh, There is nothing that happens in our lives that is by accident, that is by chance, but we have a sovereign king who has determined our times and our boundaries. Uh, We have a sovereign king who has placed you and me exactly where we are at this particular time, who has placed us and our particular family And so he has determined our lot, and we can rest in that. We can rest in the goodness and in the good plan of our sovereign king in our lives. The scouts go out and mark out the territories. They come back and cast lots, and the assignments are are handed out. And uh, you can see on this uh, map once more where those uh, allotments fell. Uh, To the tribe of Benjamin, you can see just north of Judah. They're a very small tribe. They received a small allotment uh, of land there. And next we read about the tribe of Simeon, who actually received their inheritance within the boundaries of the tribe of Judah, because Judah was initially given uh, more land than they needed. We then read about uh, Zebulun and Issachar and Asher, who was uh, located up there along the Mediterranean uh, Sea. Uh, Then we read about Naphtali. Naphtali is there uh, right in the region of the Sea of Galilee. And of course, that's where our Lord Jesus would do uh, the majority of his earthly ministry. Uh, The prophet Isaiah wrote about that, that it was in Naphtali and Zebulun, a place that sat in great darkness, uh, they would see a great light. And there, the light of the world, King Jesus came and did his ministry there by the Sea of Galilee. And then finally, we we read about the tribe of Dan, who initially received their inheritance there uh, just north of Judah along the Great Sea. Uh, We read in the book of Judges, however, that they ended up, uh, their tribal allotment ended up being farther to the northern part uh, of the country. When we come, though, to Joshua 20, uh, the major territories of the land have all been assigned to the tribes. Uh, But in this chapter, we read about some very special cities. Uh, The Lord tells Joshua to appoint six cities of refuge. And what are these cities of refuge about? Well, these were places that were set off as a protection for people who had committed what we today would call involuntary or unintentional manslaughter. In the book of Numbers, Moses gives the example of two men who are out chopping wood and one of them is swinging his axe and the head of the axe flies off the axe handle and strikes the other man and the other man ended up dying. However, there was no malicious intent. There was no murderous intent in the man's heart. It was an accidental death. And yet what would happen in those days is that every family had someone who was called an avenger. Now, this is not like Thor or Iron Man, right? Not these Avengers, but an Avenger of blood whose job it was to protect the honor of the family. And if a family member had been murdered, it was the job of this Avenger to track them down and to administer justice. And yet, just as in our law today, premeditated murder was to be treated very differently from involuntary manslaughter. 
And so these six cities of refuge were set up, three on one side of the Jordan River and three on the other, uh, so that if anyone had committed unintentional manslaughter, he could hightail it to one of these cities before the avenger of blood from that family caught up to him and killed him before they knew all of the facts in the heat of the moment. And so this was a way that his life could be protected from the avenger. Uh, He would come to the city of refuge. He would be protected until a trial could be held. Now, if in that trial it was determined that he had committed murder, well, then he would die for his crime. But if in that trial it was determined that it was an accidental death, he would be protected as long as he remained in that city of refuge. The catch was he could never leave the city of refuge. If he left that city, he would be on his own. The only time he could leave that city, it was kind of like a statute of limitations, was at the time of the death of the high priest. That's what the text tells us. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. But the fact that the Lord sets up this system shows us God's concern for justice in the land. His concern that human life would always be valued and that it would be treated with dignity and with respect. We won't spend long here, but in Joshua 21, we also read about how in keeping with God's law, the Levites received 48 cities scattered throughout uh, the tribes of Israel. Uh, The branches of the tribes of the Levites come from Aaron's sons and each received certain cities. Again, altogether, there were 48 of them. The text does not explicitly say this, but it seems pretty clear, clear that this was God's plan in doing this and scattering out these thousands of Levites, these teachers of the law, so that wherever an Israelite lived, anywhere in the country of Israel, there would always be a a Levite living nearby who would be able to explain to him and teach him about the word of God. And then the last part of our outline here, before we get to how all of this applies to us, this is something you see both at the beginning of this section and at the end of this section, There are two faithful servants that are mentioned here, Caleb and Joshua, who both receive their special inheritances in the land. I love the fact that Joshua, showing the marks of a true leader, does not receive his inheritance until the very end, after everyone else has. But in chapter 19, he finally receives that inheritance that the Lord has for him. The other special man who receives a special inheritance is Caleb. And you might recall that Joshua and Caleb were the two spies out of the 12 spies that Moses had sent out. They were the only two who came back with a good report. They were the only two faithful spies who believed the promise of God, who told the children of Israel that with God's strength, we can go in and take possession of the land. And now we read about Caleb receiving his inheritance many years later. Look at chapter 14, starting in verse six. It says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren went up with me, made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. 
ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, how the giants were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, <coughs> the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Now we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, but Caleb was 85 years old now. He wasn't quite as old as Joshua, but I think we would agree he was no spring chicken at this point in his life. But I love the fact that as one person put it, at 85 years of age, he is still asking Joshua for permission to go and conquer more mountains. He's asking for permission at 85 years of age to go and battle with more giants in order to win his inheritance. And if you keep on reading in Joshua chapter 15, that's exactly what he did. And the Lord gave him victory and he drove out those giants and he took possession of Hebron as his inheritance. A friend, uh, you may be here today and, and, and you may be considered a senior adult, or maybe you don't think about yourself as a senior adult yet, but uh, if you are receiving a discount at the movie theaters and you are not a student, uh, then likely uh, you are one. But you know, just like Caleb, never stop taking mountains for God in faith all the days of your life that God gives you. You may have retired, but don't ever retire from serving the King of Kings. And use every ounce of strength that he gives you, every day of life that he gives you, to serve him and to keep walking in victory and faith with the Lord. He has new things, new adventures for you, even in this season and stage of life. Well, that is an overview of what these chapters in Joshua contain. This is what happened. But the second question we need to look at today is, is so important. What does it mean for us? Because we do not read the Bible like a history book. Uh, the Bible is not a, a geography book, even though it contains a lot of geography. And we read in these chapters the names of many cities that we don't know where they are and uh, boundaries of lands that we are not living in. And, and yet God's word is still living. It is still active and every part of it is profitable for us. And so what is it that is in this part of God's word that he wants to say to us? Well, I really think many of the main themes of this section of Joshua really are all tied together in the last few verses of chapter 21. So turn there with me, Joshua 21, verse 23, and look at what it says there. It says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. And so with that beautiful summary in our minds. Again, I want us to talk about what this means for us. And we said at the beginning that the Lord kept every promise that he made to them. 
And the Lord will keep every promise that he has made to us. And the reality is he's made many of the same promises to us uh, that he made to his people back then. First off, just like he did back then, the Lord has promised to give to us, to his children today, an inheritance. Again, verse 43 of Joshua 21 says, The Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. God had promised to give this land to their fathers, beginning with their first father, Father Abraham. In Genesis 12, verse 7, when we read these words, To your descendants, God said, I will give this land. And the Lord repeated that promise to Isaac and to Jacob. He repeated that promise to Moses and then to Joshua. And now here they are. And we've just read about it in Joshua, how they finally, after hundreds and hundreds of years, received their inheritance. And that's why you read the word inheritance more than 50 times in these nine chapters in the book of Joshua. 50 times the word inheritance is there. And as Pastor Warren Wearsby reminds us, the Israelites didn't really win this land, did they? They didn't really buy this land. They couldn't have purchased this land for any amount of money. No, this land was given to them. This land belonged to their father in heaven, and it was given to them as their inheritance. We may have not been promised the earthly land of Canaan, at least not in the same sense as they were, but God has promised those of us who know Christ as our Savior a great inheritance. And church, some of that inheritance we have already received. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we come to know the Lord, we are blessed. We are already blessed. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing that comes from the Lord. And and we know that in spite of what the world may think and in spite of what we may have even thought before we got saved, we, we may have thought, you know, that God wanted to take away our joy and make our lives miserable. Well, what you and I have discovered after we have actually come to know Christ is that the opposite is the case, that the Lord wanted to give us joy. And the Lord wanted to give us abundant life. What we have discovered is what the psalmist wrote about in Psalm 16 when he said, The lines, the boundary lines, have fallen for me in good places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. And just like the inheritance that the tribes received, that was very specific. It was very particular. It was very individual to each of the tribes. God has drawn very specific boundaries for you, friend, in your life. He has given you a very specific inheritance, and it is a good inheritance. The boundary lines have fallen for you and for me in pleasant places. The Lord has even more, though, in store for our future. I love where it says in Romans chapter 8, get this, it says in Romans 8 that those of us who know Christ are co-heirs or joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, what is the inheritance of Jesus Christ? Revelation says the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. In other words, the inheritance of Jesus Christ is everything. And Christ is yours and you are Christ. 
This is what has been promised to us. This is our inheritance. And I can't think of any verse that talks about that inheritance that's more exciting than 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I I know that uh, this is spring break. And uh, for many of our students, maybe you've made some reservations. Maybe you've made some reservations to go watch a spring training baseball game. Maybe you made some reservations at an Airbnb to take a trip out of town. Maybe you made a reservation for dinner, and that's all wonderful. But Christian, did you know that God has already made a reservation for you? He's made a reservation that has your name on it and my name on it. It is undefiled. It is incorruptible. It is reserved and kept by the power of God in heaven for you and for me. And not a word that he has spoken about it will ever fail to come to pass. There's a second thing he promised. The Lord has promised to give his children rest in the land. Back at the end of Joshua 21, verse 44, the Lord gave them rest all around According to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. You know, this theme of rest is a biblical theme that actually shows up at the very, very beginning of the Bible. In the opening chapters of the Bible, when God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then it says he rested on the seventh day. And then we come to the Ten Commandments, and one of those commandments was to honor the Sabbath day, to work for six days, and to rest on the seventh. And we fast forward to the New Testament, and we find out that this rest that God has been talking about is more than just a physical rest that we need for our bodies. It's a spiritual rest that we can only find in knowing God. And we meet Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and in Matthew 11, he speaks these words to us. He gives us this invitation. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friend, have you found that rest? Have you found that rest that your soul so badly is longing for? You can find it today. You can find it when you come to know Christ. For those of us who have come to Christ and who have experienced that rest, do you know there is still a deeper rest, a more satisfying rest that God still has in store for us in the future? And the author of Hebrews talks about that. He compares the rest that Joshua gave the people of God in the promised land to the rest that is still in the future. This is what it says. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. God has promised us a rest. God has promised us an inheritance. Number three, God has promised us what the writer of Joshua simply calls good things. I love that. Good things. Look at Joshua 21, 45. It says, Not a word failed of any good thing 
which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. Any good thing. Underline those words. The Lord gave them so many good things. He was so good to them. And church, God has been so good to us, hasn't he? He's been so good to us individually. He's been so good to us collectively as a church. He has given us so far beyond, so much more, so much better than what we deserve. And we need to see that. We need to recognize that, first of all, God has already given us so many good things here and now in this life walking with him. You know, whenever I hear that phrase, good things, I always think about this little verse that's tucked away in in a one-page letter in the New Testament called Philemon. In Philemon 6, Paul is praying for a friend of his. And as he prays for this friend, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Then no, the more we think about every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus, the more we're going to want to talk about Jesus with other people the more we're going to want to share our faith with others when we realize and remember how many good things he has given to us. Christian, how many good things has God given to you? Think about just a few of them. A few of the good things that he's given to you. He's given to you salvation. He's given to you the forgiveness of sins. He's given to you adoption into his family. Uh, He has given to you blessing and life more abundantly. He has given to you freedom and faith and hope. He has given to you his love. He's given to you his only begotten son. He has given to you his Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. He has given to you the gift of his church. He has given to you meaning and purpose in life. He has given to you the provision for every need that you have. He has given to you a future, his precious promises. He's given to you his presence all the days of your life. He's given to you the the power and the access to come to him in prayer whenever and wherever you are. He has given to you power and rest and every spiritual blessing. And James says that every one of those good and perfect gifts comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Oh, let's not forget all the good things that he's already given us here and now. But church, let's also remember he's promised us even better things there and then. Despite everything that I just said, I know that we do live right now in a broken world. We live in a world where there is sin and evil and brokenness. We live in a world where Jesus said, you will have tribulation. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me. There will be suffering along the way home as we walk through this side of heaven. But better things are coming. And just one glimpse of that is what God gave John in Revelation 22. John wrote these words, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. I can't wait, church. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
He's promised his people an inheritance, a a rest. He's promised us good things and even better things to come. And then finally, he has promised us a reward. And when I I think about that word reward in the passage that we read, I I do think about those two faithful men, Caleb and, and Joshua. And how 45 years later, God still remembered how they stood up for what was right. God still remembered how they stood for faith and believed in God's promises, even when very few others did. And towards the end of their lives, when they were 85 and 90-something years old, respectively, the Lord had a special reward for each of them, a specific piece of the promised land that had their name on it. Now, we won't turn back and read it again, but when we read Caleb's story in Joshua 14, you might have noticed three times in those verses, it says the same thing about Caleb. It says he wholly followed the Lord. Christian, isn't that what you want to do? Don't you want to wholly follow the Lord all the days of your life? I know that we're saved by grace and we're also sanctified by grace, but, but by the grace that God gives us, isn't that how we want to live our lives until he calls us home? To wholly follow the Lord. It's really another way of what Jesus said the greatest commandment was, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your whole heart. To wholeheartedly love him, to wholeheartedly follow him and serve him. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to be doing that all the days of my life. I still want to be doing that at 85, even more than I am at 40-something or 30-something or 20-something. And I want to get to the end of my life. And I can't think of a better reward than to stand before the King of Kings and to hear him say to me, well done, good, faithful servant. And, you know, Jesus told us we need to be looking for that. We need to be living for that. And he told us that in one of the very last verses in the Bible, in Revelation twenty-two twelve. Jesus said, Behold, look, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Church, not a word will fail of every good thing that he has promised to give to his children. He will do every one. You know, uh, every time we study any passage in uh, the Word of God, I I think we should always be thinking about how these stories point us forward to the gospel and how they point us forward to Jesus Christ because every story in the Bible, I believe, shouts and screams his name. You know, really, if you think about it, everything that we've talked about is true of Jesus. It points us to Jesus. He is our inheritance, Right? Our inheritance is the Lord. He, he is our treasure. And one day we will understand that even more than we do now. He is the great treasure that is worth everything else. And we talked about uh, how uh, he gave us a place of rest. Well, that rest is Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, come to me and you will have rest. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our good thing. When the Lord said, I will give you every good thing, what better thing, what better gift has he ever given than his only begotten son that he gave for us? That's the best gift. And then we talked about a reward. Again, he is our exceedingly great reward. The greatest reward of heaven is getting to see Jesus face to face. But you know, I was also thinking this week about those cities that we 
talked about a few minutes ago. Do you remember them, those, those cities of refuge? That if somebody had committed that unintentional manslaughter, you know, they could run to one of those cities and be safe. And I believe that points us to the gospel as well. Now, it's not a perfect illustration, mind you. I mean, for one thing, we don't need to have a trial. We already know that we're guilty. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's no trial needed. And yet the Bible also tells us to flee to Christ for refuge. In the same way that they fled and ran to those cities, we need to run to the the metropolis that is Christ. We need to run to him and find our refuge in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again. It's the only refuge that can be found from the sentence of death that is upon our lives. But it also struck me, you remember what it said about the only time they were ever able to leave the city? They were trapped inside that city and they could never go home until one thing happened. You remember what that one thing was? The death of the high priest. You know, it says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is our faithful and merciful high priest. He is our great high priest and Unlike the priest that came before him, he did not offer an animal sacrifice to take away our sins. No, he offered his own life. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Our great high priest laid down his life for us on the cross, and it's only through the death of our high priest that sinners like us can ever go home. Christian, aren't you thankful for all that Jesus has done for us? I want to ask you to stand with me if you would. And before we worship, I just want to give you a minute or so um, just to pray, just to spend a minute between you and God. And, and would you just thank him from your heart for some of the things we've seen in God's word today. Thank him that he is your inheritance, that he is your rest. Thank him that he is your great reward. Thank him that it's because of his death that while we are sojourners now in this world, we one day get to go home and be with him forever and ever. Take a moment, thank your Savior for that, and we'll worship together. 